podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? The worrying thing about this is there are stats pop about any stats doing to rely on our personalities this week, which is really worrying. We haven't got any personality nor any bands, but I probably don't. We've just got this kind of like humour that most people don't actually get. I know we've got as, much, as many bands as the Conservative Party, don't we? Really, right? <laughs> Hello. So on a week where my amazing ability to make things I have no control over happen through the power of my voice alone, we return to proper podding as the football kicks off. The uh, almost inevitable uh, Timu Puki goal for Norwich, uh, which I predicted, I think, on the last pod and many, many pods before that, first many a bubble. But overall, it seemed a good week for the template. That's the Twitter template, uh, copyright Matthew Jones. Please go after him if you hate that portmanteau. As a solid start, was seemingly had by all, including us, actually. Uh, Nick, you're all right. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Thank you. Yeah, you certainly delved into the crystal ball, didn't you? And predicted uh, that Timu Puki goal was ridiculous. 4-1 is exactly what you said on the pod. It was going to be a late goal, which uh, would kill our clean sheet. So thanks for that one, Tom. Uh, yeah, it was a ridiculously high-scoring opening game week. We'll talk about that in a second. Everything's good here. Um, Moses went walking with a staff of woods. He's been practising his walking all weekend. And uh, I deserve a quiet night after his recent antics. Just to say we are who got the assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL or at WGTA underscore Nick. And you can follow us there. Also, I assume you're listening anyway via one of these, but in case you're not and you're listening telepathically, you can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, all the various pod repositories like iTunes. And remember to hit subscribe or give us a review. So, Tom, what are we talking about today? Well, Nick, it's an interesting one because we are a stats analysis pod without any stats. Uh, I don't think we can make any real conclusions based on uh, one data point, can we really? But nonetheless, we've got a lot to talk about as the preseason rolls into the season proper and yet another roller coaster campaign begins. As an Irish philosopher once said, life is roller coaster, just got to ride it. And I think that's definitely true of FPL. Mr. Keating, was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the great Irish philosopher, Mr. R. Keating. Uh, so let's start with the game week roundup. Uh, Nick, how did you do? So yeah, um, so I scored 76 points, which um, if you said that to me um, at the beginning of the game, we got said, yes, excellent, I'll take that straight away. But turned out to be um, not as high as some people. We've seen plenty of scores in um, triple figures, which is very impressive. Lots of shiny, happy people out there. But yeah, for me, 76, which I suppose is sort of above average. The main guys, obviously, Salah Captain Sterling, 20-pointer, huge return for him. And yeah, the defence uh, did pretty well as well. Dean and Tia Zinchenko clean sheets but yeah a few disappointments out there uh, like Perez only getting three points and Fraser and King three points between them and, and uh, my Denders punting goal as well not paying off just to two Dean Henderson unfortunately how about yourself yeah similar to you I've, I've got 78 uh, just shaded it I think through the fact I had Jota on the field uh, in that uh, Wolves uh, Leicester game which I'd pegged as being a game which is going to be high scoring I think if there were two games which have come off this game week as being those two that you'd have got really long odds on, it was one, Brighton beating Watford 3-0, and two, uh, that Wolves and Leicester game being a 0-0. So yeah, 78, not too bad. I mean, Mo Salah and Raheem Sterling obviously doing the business. Callum wasn't getting lucky that his big chance was turned in by Chris Metham, you know, Luca Dean, Alexander-Arnold at the back, and uh, Nick Pope, uh, his holiness being a total lad, getting me one bonus point somehow, three saves and eight points. But yeah, I mean, 78 again, same as you really. Like if I was given that, uh, I was out with Mars actually watching Liverpool game from the Three Amigos on Friday night. And if he'd have said, you know what, Tom, I'm going to give you 78. No disrespect, but that's a decent score. Um, I'd have taken that. No, I snapped his arm off, frankly. So, yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. You know, looking at the average at 66. Uh, so not too bad at all. Um, it seems like a good kind of starting point, doesn't it, for the, for the season going forward. But, you know, the, the big punt, Carl Walker-Peters didn't really pay off. And you got two, didn't look very good in that game. And, uh, you know, Jose Perez, same as you, like, had him in as 6.5 kind of default and I was hoping for more but it just didn't seem to really materialise and I guess that's kind of the main talking point of today's pod which is about how it went this week and about the fact that maybe patience I think is the name of the game like there is one data point at the moment we've also on the main WGCA account you know received a few tweets already like oh my god like what moves am I going to make this week I'm going to do this 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 or this so I make this transfer should I wildcard even I've sent you a few of them, haven't I, Nick? And we're both kind of thinking, yeah, you know, you've got to be patient. You've got to just chill out and you've got to just like think, well, actually, it's not been that bad a day. Like, take a picture of your team and send it through. But overall, 
we're all starting from the same point and I think that actually there's no need to be worrying at the moment you should just chill out and just enjoy the fact the football's back I'd reiterate what you said there if you've if you've had a bad start don't let yourself go you know uh, just uh you're not alone Every, you know lots of people had a tough start it's pretty typical that you, you, you can have a dodgy start and still do absolutely fantastic across the course of the season because it's a marathon not a sprint this is just game week one of 38 game weeks and plenty of players that blanked this week and you know the likes of Robertson for instance if he was your Liverpool cover perhaps you even had Alisson in goal as well it's not the end of the world Robertson still looked pretty decent anyway and he got plenty of attacking opportunities and was unlucky to pick up an assist and uh, as we said sort of I won't say Liverpool are unlucky to lose that clean sheet because Norwich were very attacking throughout the game and had quite a number of chances. But we know that Liverpool are a team that um, will get plenty of clean sheets over the course of the season. So you'll still see plenty of um, returns from the likes of Robertson. And the same for the likes of those Bournemouth attackers that were a little bit unfortunate to not score big in the game against uh, Sheffield United. Those Bournemouth players were in your team for a reason and that's partly because their next fixture is also very good when they've got Aston Villa away. So now is another cause for optimism. Not to over-worry if you are doubled up in the Bournemouth attack like myself. I've got King and Fraser who both did nothing. I'm not going to need Jerk either of them out at this moment in time, despite there being some very tempting assets that they could be replaced by. I think it's worth just holding on and uh, rolling that transfer, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. So I put a PSA out on Twitter just before we started, actually, Nick, just saying, you know, look, not everybody has done well. And there's a fantastic phenomenon. If you're on social channels, if you're on Twitter, you're on Reddit, you're on Fantasy Football Scout, and you see that the people who actually, you know, take the time and bother to post, those are the people who have done very, very well. And the majority of people have done averagely or modestly. And those people won't tweet and those people won't say anything. And it gives a slanted view of how the game week has gone. Like, people are going, oh, I've got 90 points. I've got 100 points. I've started off amazingly well. And you get the feeling that that is actually how people have done it's not like most of the time it is kind of 60s 70s it's probably okay and it's an okay start like I think the worst thing is to be and I'm really sorry if this is you like 30 40 points back game week one like looking up and thinking oh my lord what am I, how am I going to do this like everybody's been in that position everybody's hurt in the past and I think it's just a case of just looking at it and thinking well unless you've got Allison, as you mentioned earlier and that's probably the case to remove it if you haven't got a backup keeper just kind of being happy about the fact that you've done okay and then from here is where it really gets forward because you know you've used the old average there Nick but it's a marathon not a sprint and and that's the way you need to be thinking about it really Uh, but let's think about both our teams really uh, I guess this week I think both our teams it's fair to say were fairly quote unquote template I'm sure that if you listen to us throughout the course of preseason you'd have an idea of the sort of team that we put together and probably have seen it but it's, it's worth kind of asking well Nick were you happy with the overall outcome of everything like you know what trends do you foresee from here I mean, I'm, I'm relatively happy with what happened. Obviously, it, all the premiums performed. It wasn't just Sterling and Salah. We saw the likes of Kane get a brace. Aubameyang also scored. Aguero scored from the bench. And then, of course, Marcus Rashford scored a brace tonight as well for Manchester United. So I can potentially see a trend um, towards sort of... Uh, you know, having more premiums in your team, perhaps, and filling those gaps with some very cheap players, perhaps, you know, the likes of Den Donker, for instance, could be a starting player for people. And you say, okay, I'm going to put my 11th man as Den Donker for 4.5 million, have another 4.5 million, like Hayden or Hayden even on the bench, and, um, you know, a couple of 4 million defenders, because a lot of 4 million defenders started actually this, um, this game week. And uh, that might be a potential trend that we say, right, we're going to start seeing more teams with three premiums or four premiums. It's sort of a Kane, sort of Salah, Sterling set up with a Dendonka who um, scored, but it was disallowed through VAR um, as sort of like enabler in the, in the uh, midfield. So that's definitely a trend that I can, I can foresee over the next few game weeks. So teams that sort of went against the twin plates, so to speak, and said, actually, I don't just want two um, premiums. I also, I want a third premium in Harry Kane and I'm, I'm going to, you know, essentially sacrifice um, a couple of members of my starting eleven to fit all three of those guys in. Did very well in the end. Yeah, certainly. I think that this week, after that Harry Kane brace, which, you know, after 75 minutes in that Spurs game, I think people with Salah and Kane, or just Kane alone being their premium, were a little bit worried. But after that kind of Kane brace, it meant that we all came up winners 
in the game week one roulette almost. It's not always going to be that way, but I think it's probably good for FPL and good for people's engagement that initially that happened and we were all quite happy with the fact that we've done all right this game week. You're right, it'll be interesting to see if that kind of Kane, Salah, Sterling, Trinity and then having one or two 4.5s rotating for your 11th man kind of works out as being the way people do it. Like, for example, we know Lewis Dunk this week getting 11 points. That's not going to happen every week, of course, but having somebody like that, I've got Balboina, for example, hoping that that sort of person comes through every now and again just to buffet the fact that those three guys are where all the resources are kind of focused is maybe the way of doing it. We know a couple of people like, for example, Sai, uh, Heroes and Villains FPL, who had a really, really good week and he only had Sterling of those three premium players, Captain Sterling as well, which is absolutely you know, the great beyond sort of level of play. But you can kind of see how like, because those three premiums will score points, it can kind of obscure what the trend is going to be going forward. I think it's very hard at the moment to forecast very much because of the fact that everybody seems to have done okay. We all seem to be in the same boat. And I think going forward, we'll see a separation, won't we? When kind of you get like, you know, game week three, um, Newcastle at home for Harry Kane uh, versus, you know, Raheem Sterling away to Bournemouth. And if one of them does very well, one of them doesn't do so well, I think that kind of separation is going to be a bit more brutal. But this week, I guess it, it was quite a universal thing, wasn't it? That people were doing well. Exactly. I, I didn't really see any any captain blanks out there as an example. As we said, all those premium players, those captain options paid off. But we did see that some of those sort of enablers, the guys that we try to, you know, talk up as potential cover for the premiums didn't really pay off. I mean, Mora for me was my cover for Kane. Of course, he got an assist. It was only five points compared to Kane's 13. And then you could say also Kevin De Bruyne and, and Sterling. Again, he did get an assist. But you know, it pales in significance to what Sterling delivered. But um, we also saw, I guess, with the defenders, a lot of the people that sort of, you know, hyped the, the bigger the back theory that I was also an advocate of, doing very well as well. Liverpool conceded, which um, made a lot of people say, actually, bigger the back didn't work, it failed. But I don't think one goal doesn't create a failure of um, an idea. Lots of the premium defenders all did very well this week, apart from perhaps Robertson was the only one that blanked. Virgil van Dijk and TAA, for instance, got attacking returns. And the good thing about these premium defenders is they have attacking or defensive returns. And uh, Manchester City and, and you know, like Luca Dean also uh, got clean sheets for myself. And even, you know, those Wolves and Leicester ones, which we talked about saying, all oh, these guys are a bit too expensive this year. They actually uh, proved their worth over their attacking counterparts at the team, didn't they? Yeah, certainly. I think there's a good question, actually, from uh, FPL Chancellor Dan, because it's kind of the inverse of what we're saying about, about being happy about our result. Should we be careful about being too smug about the fact that the big defenders seem to have come through? You know, um, Ronaldinho, our friend Neil Murray, had a little bit of uh, a set two on Twitter with a few people who um, reacted to the very, very first game and said, oh, you know, I invested in Robertson and Allison and it didn't quite work out for me. Do we have to guard against being too smug, Nick, about just one game? 100%. Yeah, obviously, there's no point being smug about it. One game does not make a theory as does one game week, you know, this was a game week, as you said, where everyone sort of came up trumps in terms of their theories and what they were touting. Those are big at the back, you know, might have done very well. Those that said, actually, get rid of the back, just load up on 4.5 million defenders from Brighton and Burnley and, uh, and then uh, get four attacking premiums in, did very well as well. So, you know, both theories kind of work, both theories um, was successful this game week. We've got plenty of the seasons play out, and I, I think it'll, it's never going to be black and white. There's hundreds of different strategies or tactics that you can ploy in FPL, and you know you might see people in the top ten at the end of the season. Some that went big on defence, some that went big on attack, and you know how do you declare a winner? It's, it's virtually impossible. So yeah, we should definitely guard against smugness in, in these sort of events. Yeah, certainly. You have to remember as well that a lot of the time in pre-season, like a lot of the stuff that us and other content providers do um, is based upon lots of cold data. It's 38 game weeks. So a lot of it is based across the scope of that 38 game week data set. One game week perhaps uh, not corresponding to those findings doesn't mean those findings are invalid. Like I think a lot of the time you have one new thing and you kind of throw everything else, availability heuristics I've spoken about. I think that that's something we need to guard against in, in terms of that question. But yeah, I think overall it's been one of those weeks, hasn't it, uh, to start with, where last season there was a brutal kind of did you have this guy, yes or no? And that was kind of a make or break. Whereas I think the start of this year, because of those premiums, because of all of those alternative strategies seem to have thrown up a decent performance. 
we don't quite have that kind of rush at the moment towards uh, certain players. Although maybe the United players after tonight's uh, 4-0 demolition of Chelsea may be slightly exempt from that. And I think that's something we'll cover in the questions later. Just a quick point here, Nick, on the talisman. So we speak about that fairly often. If you don't really know what we're referring to, there's an article called Talisman Theory that Nick and I work on over the summer. And I published that recently. And obviously Jamie Vardy was one of the big heroes of that. Raul Jimenez was one of the big heroes of that. And uh, neither of them did anything game we won. Doesn't rubbish the whole theory. Uh, but going forward, Nick, what sort of players, uh, given the fixtures, are you eyeing up as maybe being incomers to your team? So, yeah, I, th- I think with the, with the talisman, yeah, like you said, there was, there was a couple that perhaps uh, didn't perform for their teams. But the, the talisman in terms of the players that four of the big six who um, had easier targets, I think definitely shone. You know, you saw Kane prove his worth as the talisman at Spurs with more, um, you know, being the sort of sideshow act that didn't quite match his return. And same with Aubameyang at Arsenal and Sterling City and um, Salah at Poole. For the top teams, talismans definitely shone. For the smaller teams, there weren't really too many talismans that really shone. The only ones that are probably worth uh, giving a shout out are Ashley Barnes at uh, Burnley. And you have to obviously, when you mention Ashley Barnes, his, his name's synonymous with Hindu monkey now, isn't it? In terms of uh, <laughs> in terms of Twitter and what um, Hindu Monkey did his very famous thread now in regards to why Ashley Barnes was a great pick in FPL and uh, truly delivered for him um, certainly a great shout from him and certainly a player perhaps to look at in terms of the cheaper forward options out there I love the fact that Ashley Barnes was pictured in five guys the next day <laughs> just, <laughs> well, he's, he's one of us he's so he's so normal and so simple despite being Austria's number one striker the only other player I wanted to give a quick shout out to um, was was also Neil Morpé, hopefully I said that right, um, at Brighton. Um, a little bit of a day sleeper on the FPL teams, only 0.5% ownership. But um, he was Brentford's talisman. And we didn't have time to do prospecting the prospects on him, but he, he netted 25 goals um, in the championship last season. He certainly looks like he could do a job for Brighton as well. Brighton performing absolutely fantastically in their game against Watford, didn't they? And uh, yeah, I think... Uh, Mopay definitely looks like Murray's successor in terms of the sort of the Brighton leading man for a team that scored very few goals last season. Yeah, exactly. He's apparated over to Brighton and appears to have uh, brought that goal-scoring knack with him, which is very, very good. Uh, I saw him interviewed on uh, Sky Sports News on deadline day, and he said that he was hoping that he could learn a lot from Glenn Murray, play with Glenn Murray. But I think the unspoken bit was, yeah, I'm, I'm here to take your place. And uh, that definitely seems to have started off quite well, a very, very uh, favourable 6.0 there. And I think that's a really, really good call. The one I was actually quite impressed by, actually, was Timu Puki, speaking of championship goal-scoring records. So I think in the process, Prospects and the prospects, I said that he was obviously not a target man in, in the traditional sense. He isn't the sort of guy who's going to be swinging aerial duel. He won the minority of them, the vast minority of them last year. He's a very little guy, as you can see. I think his key advantage is intelligence. Like He was playing off the shoulder of the defenders the whole time. I really liked how he basically targeted Gomez. Um, I think that Gomez had no idea where he was the majority of the time, which was really, really encouraging, actually, despite the fact that they lost 4-1. And uh, what he seems to lack in power and speed, he makes up for in intelligence and smarts. So basically my kind of guy going forward for Norwich. It could be a sort of player, a bit like Mitrovic last season. Obviously Mitrovic more of a classic target man. But when Norwich do have decent fixtures, for example, between game week six and nine, they play Burnley, Crystal Palace, Aston Villa and Bournemouth. I think there's going to be perhaps some interest in Pookie because I think that I saw enough in that game week to think yeah that guy can definitely get gold he only had two shots of him that day but I think there's enough about him a very very clever movement especially when Buendia got the ball he was alive there and I think that there will be enough there to to make me think well that's 6.5 or maybe even 6.4 by then maybe worth me having a look so based on what you've seen Nick are you optimistic for the season ahead? You have to be optimistic for the season ahead, really. Yes, there's certainly no need to be um, all doom and gloom after one game week, especially one where we saw so many goals and, and so many sort of FPO assets that are much touted perform, you know. Plenty of causes for optimism if your players didn't perform. And as I said, there's only a few that didn't. Then there's plenty of time. And uh, yeah, plenty of game weeks ahead where you can improve and catch up with your opponents. Yeah, as you say, it's it's not all doom and gloom. It's not automatic for all people that you're going to get a a green arrow on game week one, so to speak. I think we're, obviously we all got we've all got a grey arrow. So everybody uh, tweet David Monday to, for entry to the Monday Club. So there's 27 goals this game week one, and that's the fourth highest scoring game week one the last six years, which which is okay. And, but I think what's different about this game week one in some respects is that 
we all seem to have a lot of the key players that a lot of the usual suspects have done well. Uh, I think linking to that optimism question I asked you, the fact is that a lot of people do have the players who have done pretty well. And there are a lot of players in the mix, you know, like your Bournemouth double-ups or players like your Leicester or Wolves players who are likely to do well in a short space of time. Uh, so I wouldn't be too worried about that. But you noticed something, didn't you, Nick, about who scored the goals, uh, which is actually quite yeah. interesting if we link into last week's uh, pod about the uh, previous game we won. So yeah, so as we said, 27 uh, goals, but only actually seven from the midfielders, which was a bit of a surprise, really. We're used to sort of seeing the midfielders almost top the charts in terms of the players that scored because there's, there's more of them than forwards. But yeah, the midfielders are pretty inactive um, this game week, uh, apart from obviously Sterling and Salah, who delivered the main points and were expected to score quite big, and who also incidentally forwards in the Sky Fantasy football game. But um, other than them, it wasn't really too many midfielders that actually delivered the points. And it was unusual ones as well, mostly like you know Goodmanson and then Dombele and McGinn that no one particularly expected to score. So that was a, was a bit of a disappointing week for the midfielders and, and people like myself who actually loaded up on five midfielders um, didn't really work out. But um, yeah, it was all about the forwards actually. The forwards really did very well. But also, incidentally, even though it was such a high-scoring game week um, in terms of goals scored, it's, uh, nine clubs actually kept clean sheets as well. So plenty of clean sheets to go around as well, which meant that a lot of defenders also did very well. So more the midfielders outside of Sterling and Salah, where there, there was a deficit of points, so to speak. Yeah, certainly. And that will even out. It will even out next week. I know it sounds like gambler's fallacy, but that definitely will even out. Like You'll see other players and the more likely lads getting points over the course of the season. As Nick said, it was a little bit of a strange profile in some places in terms of who actually scored the goals, but I think that will change. I mean, like with VAR as well, which we should probably touch on after this first kind of week of it being rolled out in the Premier League. The likes of Chris Wood, the likes of Leo Dion Donker could have both had goals in another world. It just didn't quite work out this week. And like, what, what did you make of Varnick? Generally, I'm an advocate for the technology. From the games I watched, I didn't really see any issues with what had happened. Obviously, I imagine it was a bit frustrating for fans of Manchester City and West Ham to see the Jesus goal chalked off and then also to see the Aguero penalty miss um, declared as a Declan Rice encroachment, which meant it had to be retaken. Ultimately, that didn't actually impact the score in that particular game. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, the decisions that were made by VAR were correct ones. Ultimately, the correct decisions were being made. Um, you know, the encroachment rule is a true rule in in, um, in the game. And if, if the player is encroaching and then clears it, then he's breaking the, the rules of the game, unfortunately. So for me, you know, I think VAR does add um, a little bit of um, extra excitement as well, I think, to be honest. I know it can be a bit frustrating waiting for the decisions to be made, but I don't think they took too long. And um, I feel like, oh, yeah, you might have your goal. And suddenly it's like, oh, no, it's been taken away. It kind of adds a little bit of an extra kick to the game when you're, you're suddenly celebrating your score and then you see the little, oh, no, it's being VARD and there's all more drama and then you, you never know if it's actually a goal or not straight away. So I think, yeah, it just adds a new element to the game. And uh, I understand the traditionalist argument that, oh, it's, it's not the same game anymore. But, you know, it's, it's, it's making the correct decisions at the end of the day. I'm glad it's not just me in the corner about that. I'm pretty pro-VAR. I think it's a good thing. Um, I think that it does do the job and does the job well. The good point is the Gabriel Jesus goal, uh, which was chalked off as uh, Sterling was offside. And the idea was that obviously his arm was slightly ahead of everybody else. And it was actually like the armpit, which you, which you can touch the ball with legally, was offside. Amazing, really. I can understand why people think, oh, you know, it's ruining the game, blah, blah, blah. And definitely does take away some bits of it. Like, it's not a case of let's play twist, let's play risk, let's just see what happens with the referee's decision. It's like more in the hands of objectivity now rather than subjectivity. I can kind of understand why people are a bit like, oh, I'm not too sure about that. Uh, but I think overall it's going to be a, a very good thing because you don't have you don't have Champions League semi-finals decided by the fact that there's a player offside. You don't have Thierry Henry uh, handballing it. You basically have a more objective view of what's right and what's wrong. And I think that they did do it very, very well in the Premier League, actually. I think we've got to be careful, though, on the, on the whole tweeting front, don't we? <laughs> because I saw there were quite a few like very good puns and very, very good references uh, written in tweets which got swift deleted but yeah I, th I think that i think that we have to be careful about like you know reacting so fast uh, with our teams as you mentioned uh, i guess the final thing nick is who's on your watch list after this game week you mentioned a couple of players mm -hmm. already do you have anything in mind for the upcoming game weeks we'll talk about it later on but do you have any players that you're thinking oh you know i'm i'm, I'm really considering them so yeah i think as i said then it's, it's mentioned heavily in the questions but manchester united are a team that i am looking at um 
quite significantly now. We ignored them uh, throughout the preseason generally, mostly because of this opening fixture against Chelsea. We were like, oh, it's a, a tough fixture. Why would why would we look at Manchester United's assets when Liverpool have Norwich, for instance, and City have West Ham? But now that fixture's over the out the way, and and we saw where. Uh, the result from that fixture where there was a 4-0 drubbing, you start to look at Manchester United and say, actually, they've got a really nice run of um, fixtures coming out. Why not look at Manchester United and, and the assets on show, especially uh, considering that their most expensive player is actually only 8.5 million, which is very cheap. I can't remember ever there being an FPL season, probably never has been, where Manchester United's most expensive player was only 8.5 million. You have to consider them quite strongly and they're very affordable. So yeah, the next five, for instance, are Wolves, Crystal Palace, Southampton, Leicester and West Ham, all you know, mid- middling fixtures, but none of the top six. So um Definitely considering the likes of Rashford um, at 8.5 million, Martial at 7.5 million, which I could do a very nice straight swap for the likes of Fraser or Lucas Moura, and um, perhaps even the defence. Um, the likes of probably AWB and Maguire would be the two that I would look at over Lindelof and, and Luke Shaw, to be honest. Yeah, I do like Maguire. I think that he's definitely got something in him um, going forward throughout the course of the season. Now, we'll talk about it later, of course, in the United questions. But I think there's something about Maguire uh, that I quite enjoy. And I think that, you know, I started with KWP just because I wanted to kind of, it sounds bad, actually. I think that was probably my biggest regret. I got sucked into the cover of the Spurs game. But I, th- I think having a City defender is probably going to be a good idea um, after game week two, uh, just because, as we said on the, on the pre-season pod, if the opposition can't get the ball, they can't score. And West Ham certainly, once they did get the ball, um, they didn't really seem... Uh, the best in the second half of four now. It's obviously where Philippe Anderson went off injured. It was a little bit different. But when they did get the ball, I think that they just weren't really too sure what to do with it because they hadn't had it very often. Um, so I think that the likes of Zinchenko or the likes of uh, Stones, if they are basically untroubled by the pep rotation wheel, are going to be very worthy purchases for, as a floor purchase. So what I mean by that is that they're not going to score you goals. They're not going to score you assists very often. It's going to be very much about the fact that just by showing up, they're probably going to get six points and that's probably going to be enough. Uh, but yeah, I know what you mean about United players and we'll come on to that in the questions. But for now, uh, I think that probably rounds off our little kind of discussion about game week one. A relatively good one for everybody involved. And uh, as, as we said at the very beginning, be patient. That's probably the key. See what happens in game week two. And then when it comes to game week three, it will all go to its up. We can all panic then. All right, let's take a break there. And we'll go on to the return of the features, Nick. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's time for our features section to return. This is uh, our regular section uh, during this season uh, where we talk about four things. The first thing is the market forces. The market forces where we talk about movers and shakers in transfer market when Nick leads. And then we've got the update on the over-30s team. The next one is the over-30s, which is our kind of feature team that we do every year. So the very first year we did this, we did the anti-metas or the anti-template team, which was full of players that were only owned by under 10% of managers. Last year it was the Orlington team uh, creating the afterglow of England's run to the semi-finals and this year it's the over 30s because Nick and I have both hit 30. In addition we also talk about the Nick pick slash the Tom pick uh, give our updates on how last week did plus next week's picks um, and also we're going to do the zombies for the early part of the season at least until it gets a little bit boring because everybody has the same teams and no one can make any changes obviously. So to start off it's the market forces and uh, Nick as the man across the numbers what you've been seeing this week? So the big news, obviously, was the Allison injury that happened in the opening game of the season. The massive blow for um, those managers that owned Allison. Though um, it wasn't compounded by the loss of the uh, Liverpool clean sheet later on. But yeah, Allison obviously injured. Looks like he's going to be out for a long time as well, potentially scans permitting. So uh, everyone's selling heavily on him, and uh, I guess that's no surprise. Three hundred and thirty-five thousand managers have already transferred out Allison. Um, from their teams and then they've been mostly replacing him with um, Edison actually so Edison's the most transferred in goalkeeper this game week 175,000 transfers in so it looks like approximately about sort of 50 percent 45 percent have swapped him uh, for Edison uh, we talked about it a little bit on the pod about how Edison perhaps is the better pick over Allison in terms of the uh, premium goalkeepers because the Manchester City defence um, get less attacking returns than the Liverpool one generally and um 
I think Edison um, sort of a quite sensible decision, just a straight swap for those managers. I know you've seen the Manchester City clean sheet as well against West Ham, which would be a cause for optimism. Though um, obviously it's worth mentioning as well, um, Adrian, um, Liverpool's backup keeper, a player we weren't expecting to see close to the top of the transfers in window after game week one after at the beginning of the summer. But he is um, now Liverpool's backup goalkeeper. He got added mid-game <laughs> by official FPL um, after... Uh, Alisson was taken off uh, for Adrian. So, yeah, Alisson and Adrian, um, the odd couple, so to speak, uh, um, swapped around. But Adrian, Adrian's only 4.5 million, uh, 41,000 uh, transfers in for him so far. And yeah, I guess that's quite a decent saving, actually. You get Adrian in um, as your Liverpool cover in defence, and you've got 1.5 million to play with. So, it's, it's not a bad move, so to speak. But otherwise, we're also seeing uh, De Gea, he's the fifth most transferred in goalkeeper at the moment. Uh, with uh, 60,000 transfers in Manchester United, another team that kept a clean sheet and had some nice fixtures, so that's no surprise either. And uh, also the likes of Matt Ryan uh, being transferred in as well. He um, he kept um, a clean sheet, also got some bonus points as well. So good week for those that owned Ryan. He's had 40,000 transfers in so far. Yeah, exactly. I love the transfer market at this time of year, uh, just because you see lots of really hilarious stuff like a uh, game. I think on the Friday night, you'd seen that uh, Alisson was actually on the front page as well for transfers in uh, when he got injured, uh, which is which is really, really confusing. I've got no idea how that happened. Like, you know, people have seen enough and they transferred them in. I guess it's an imitation of life, isn't it? How it kind of works out because people are fundamentally irrational and make very, very strange decisions. But I think you've got them great money, wouldn't you, on the fact that Edison is going to probably be the first riser of this season. Unsurprisingly, below him, you've got uh, Raheem Sterling, uh, signed by upwards of 120,000 managers at the time of recording. And the main kind of uh, sops for him are Bernardo Silva, Sadio Mane and Ryan Fraser, aren't they, Nick? Yeah, so Bernardo Silva um, surprisingly didn't start, which um, would be very frustrating for those that transferred him in. I mean, we talked about it in the pre-season about how he had the most minutes out of all the outfield Manchester City players, apart from Laporte's last season. So, of course, he didn't start. Um, he was randomly dropped for Riyad Mahrez, and that was compounded a little bit, I guess, by the fact that Riyad Mahrez got a couple of assists as well. Um, he's been transferred in by over 37,000. You um, want to play victim to Pep's rotation, so that's a bit of a gamble. I think that particular transfer in but Bernardo Silva being transferred out by 100,000 managers perhaps not much of a surprise if people are concerned about whether he's going to start also um, they've seen um, Mane as you said transferred out by 46,000 managers at this point a little bit more of a surprise perhaps I'd expect Mane to start the, the next game week quite heavily um, commented on that he was unlikely to start that first game week anyway because he was still recovering from his duties in the African Cup of Nations so it wasn't a surprise to most FPL managers that he didn't actually start that first game and he's generally expected to be back next week same as the um, the transfers in over Orihi over 67,000 um, transfers in for Divock Overy obviously he got a goal and assist a really decent return 12 points but if Mane's coming back you'd likely expect to see Orihi um, return back to the bench it's very reactionary, isn't it, at this time of year? The similar sort of number to Oregi uh, Rashford, uh, signed by 65,000 managers at the time of recording. And uh, interestingly, the one I want to zero in on quickly is the fact that um, almost 50,000 managers have sold Andy Robertson after one game week, uh, which I think is quite interesting. I'm guessing a lot of people didn't watch the game uh, who have sold him. Uh, but the reality was that, look at the heat map, um, he was... Often, um, on a few, he was on a few occasions Liverpool's furthest forward player. Uh, lots of whips in balls, taking lots of those long shots as well, uh, which he seems to have added to his game. So he's got a great one for Scotland over the course of the summer. Uh, looks like he's more willing to take a shot now. And I think the returns aren't very far away. Um, so I think that's going to be a bit of an orange crush for a lot of people once they sell him. And then he performs very well next week in Southampton. Um, but I guess that uh, you know, people are going to react as we always say at this time of the season, uh, to what they see uh, rather than being calm. And a lot of the time, that is actually the uh, uh, the advantage, I guess, that engaged managers, like I guess most of you people are listening to this pod, going to be. So yeah, listening to Transfer Market is always very interesting, Nick. Thanks for that. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep that one going, of course, throughout the course of the season. Moving on then to the over-30s. This is the team that my unspecified family member living at my address uh, manages uh, throughout the course of the season. Uh, this is done uh, just because Nick and I have both hit 30 and we thought, well, 
what better way to celebrate hitting 30 than to create a team of players who are over 30 themselves and see how they do throughout the course of the season. It's been an actively managed team. Uh, my other half is very much on it, very into FPL and really, really looking forward to the course of this season. Um, anyway, uh, so it's 47 points. So it's a bit of a disappointing start uh, for the over 30s. Uh, Hugo Lloris in goal, uh, only got the three points. At the back, uh, Jan Vertonghen was an interesting omission from the Spurs side. Not really too sure why that was. Boschino said it was tactical. But you know, Seamus Coleman and Johnny Evans both got clean sheets. Craig Cathcart obviously did not, surprisingly. In midfield, likes of Jao Moutinho, who came on. James MacArthur, who got three points. Uh, David Silva, again, three points. And Pedro, uh, two points tonight. And up front, it was uh, Sergio Aguero, who got uh, five points. He got that goal. In another world, that would have been a goal that was disallowed and minus points for this team. Aubameyang was the captain, uh, scored the goal, but got no bonus. And Jamie Vardy, who only appeared, unfortunately, for people who have been following the tellers. But yeah, 47 points is an okay start. And we're really hamstrung with this team, aren't we, Nick? I think we're both looking at birthdays to see who we're going to be bringing in. Um, I think it's like, you know, Gilfie Sigurdsson, I think, in September, isn't he? Like that sort of guy that we're going to really need to anchor that midfield. Because at the moment, you know, we've got, uh, as, as I just mentioned, the likes of James McCarthy. For David Silva, Pedro, Jal Moutinho, and Jack Cork, who are probably the only over 30s we could find. Also, saw the likes of Mikatarian uh, perform for Arsenal, didn't we? Not particularly well um, today. So, um, and, you know, obviously Mesut Ozil as well um, wasn't in the squad uh, for the obviously what's happened recently. There's a few options out there. I mean, Sanchez as well, another player perhaps we'll look at if he um, returns from injury soon, whether he can get into the Manchester United starting 11 is, an, is another question and also one matter maybe as well. But yeah, really limited in terms of those over 30s options that are out there. Plenty of young players um, doing very well um, this game week. I sound very old now, don't know those young lads doing very well. <laughs> I know, the likes of Lingard obviously make us look very young, but there we go. Right, let's move on to the next one, which is the Nick Pick slash the Tom Pick. So last year we started pioneering the idea of the Nick Pick, which is a very boring, uh, straightforward pick, which is likely to score you points. Uh, in keeping with Nick's very conservative, of a small C, I should add, uh, profile on FPL. Um, and this year we've paired it with a Tom Pick, uh, a bit more of an exciting, gambly ultimately useless at FPL sort of pick. Um, and I think last week, actually, it was a rare victory for me, Nick, here, wasn't it? With your Toby Alderweireld pick uh, getting two points versus my uh, Tom pick, Pascal Gross, getting six, assisting the own goal. Yeah, yeah, you, you won that, that game. <laughs> you, got, um, you got the Pascal Gross dodgy assist. Um, I think Corey was a bit, had a bit of a confundus charm um, put on him, didn't he, <laughs> when he scored that own goal? But uh, yeah, 1-0 to you. Um, for, for my uh, Nick pick, um, it's um, not much of a risk as usual, but I'm going to be going for uh, Virgil van Dijk, a player that could no doubt beat Andy Kaufman in a wrestling match. It's, it's a tough week generally for, for the fixtures. Uh, I think we're just, just looking at the fixtures, it's all quite close-knit matches. You know, There's no real home bankers apart from uh, maybe Arsenal and Liverpool. And I, I looked at sort of both teams, there's no one I would say is a sort of safe pick in Arsenal. I was like, oh, you know what, Virgil van Dijk, it's the man that stands out for me. He got that header. He absolutely dominated poor Ben Godfrey in the air. And I think the Southampton defenders, like Jack Stevens, are certainly going to struggle with him on those um, corners and set pieces as well. So I think Van Dyke could potentially get a goal. And also Southampton going forward look um, not particularly good either. So potential for a clean sheet out there. So the, uh, the 200 plus point man from last season is my Nick pick. Yeah, also playing his old club. It's obviously something Ooh, yeah, to keep, yeah. Yeah, keep an eye out for that, don't you? My Tom pick is uh, Callum Robinson. Uh, as I mentioned on the MW pod, he's a player who is uh, out of position. Uh, starts up front with Sheffield United and seemed a real handful uh, on match of the day. And according to uh, the in-game stuff in the UK, we can't get the 3pm fixtures, unfortunately. Uh, so I'm not able to give you a proper eye test of him. But through the surrogates of other eye tests, he seemed like a very, very good player. 12 goals last year for Preston and seems like a player that Chris Wilder wanted and valued. So 5.5 million. Uh, they've got Palace next week. Obviously, Palace are looking very uh, defensively solid because that's basically all they've got. Organisation of the shades of West Bromwich Albion under uh, Tony Pulis there. But I reckon uh, Callum Robinson could be a very interesting one to go with for this particular exercise. I'm not sure I'd sign him for my team quite yet. But 5.5 million out of position, striker, I guess it is, is obviously of interest. Um, but yeah, I don't think he'd be in my team straight away. But nonetheless, I think it'd be a very interesting kind of topic to see how he goes this week. 
tweet because he's definitely another player who's on my watch list if Sheffield United can make that kind of low goals conceded and goals scored thing at Bramall Lane, which they did in the Championship last year, um, translate over to the Premier League. Right, and the final thing is the Zombies League. This is our no chips, no changes, no transfers league. I have now changed the, the entry league code and I'll be removing, hopefully by the time you listen to this, I will have removed um, everybody who uh, cheated in game week one. There's a lot of triple captain chips played, for example. But they'll all be gone and we'll be able to have a pure zombie league after that point. It's amazing, really, actually, you know, can people actually just can't read. It says very clearly, like, the first thing it says is no chips. I just don't understand like why you do that. Just go into it and uh, play a chip. Like you're not going to get away with it, are you? Because it's not as if my unspecified fan member is not going to fail to notice that you played the chip. So I just don't understand that at all. Right? Uh, but how did you do with the zombies then this week? I imagine it was actually fairly high scoring. Yeah, so they did pretty well actually. They scored about the same as my actual team in the end. So uh, yeah, seventy-three points to my uh, well, sort of for my unspecified family members zombie team. Uh, which was uh, about the same as what I scored. Um, I think actually it might be 74 because Vertonian didn't play, as you said. Um, so they're getting a Mason Greenwood's one-pointer off the bench because apparently Mason Greenwood's my first sub. But yeah, they did pretty well. Rashford um, got them 13 points. Uh, De Bruyne got them seven. Uh, Salah captaincy, 24. Van Dijk um, and uh, Dean in the back and also Matt Ryan in goal. So yeah, pretty decent. Pretty decent score for my zombies. Uh, pretty good start for them. How about yourself? Yeah, same here. So seven, six points. Um, at the start of the season, it's obviously very depressing because they keep matching us. But I think over the course of the year, we'll see things diverge as everything changes. But uh, yeah, seven, six points at the back. Uh, the A few stars, Matt Ryan with a nine. In fact, it was a full house at the back. It was Matt Ryan with nine, Virgil van Dijk with eight after the goal, Laporte with a clean sheet, Dean with a clean sheet, and Aaron Wan-Bissaka with a clean sheet, plus a couple of bonus. Uh, Mo Salah got 24, who's the captain for this year. Kevin De Bruyne got seven and Nicolas Pepe, unfortunately, um, only showed up later on in the game. And up front, uh, Chris Wood got a goal chalked off and Josh King was predictably a bit useless. But seven, six points overall isn't too bad at all. Okay, so at the time of recording then, when we go to the Zombie League, it's still updating, but it looks like the game we won winner, if we take everybody who triple captain and bench boosted, is uh, Le Comeback 2019-20. That is uh, Samuel Akira Dolu, who got 109. It's a captain Raheem Sterling, Harry Kane as well. No Salah in this team, Nick, which is quite interesting. Uh, but Lewis Dunk with that 11 pointer at the back alongside BBD, Wambasaka, Edison, and Dean scoring at upwards of six is uh, really, really good for him. Uh, Anthony Martial uh, this evening as well adds a little bit of garnish to that. But yeah, 109 seems to the, uh, the the score to beat. Shout outs as well to a few other guys. So uh, on Saturday night, it was dead troll walking with 104 points. That's James Rodinson, who, who was top, uh, followed by uh, Munchen Bloodbath. Uh, by Brogan Douglas, but it, it looks like uh, the comeback has uh, has got it at the moment. It would just be interesting to see, and we'll update this obviously next week with uh, how it actually is. We're recording on the Tuesday the next week, just MNF. But yeah, it looks like at the moment it's all about having those premiums, and it's very interesting to see that a no salad team has actually done the job this week. But I'll be removing everybody who's cheated this week if anyone is worried, uh, just to reiterate that quickly. Okay, let's take a break there, Nick, and we'll move on to the Q and A. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and um, it's time to catch up with the Who Got This Mini League. And uh, yeah, I mean, like the zombies, it's, it's still being updated. So we can't really see um, who's top at the moment. But I can see plenty of um, scores above 100 uh, points. So yeah, well done to all the guys that um, scored over 100 points. A lot of them, which actually used their triple captain, but I saw a few that also didn't. So um, congratulations to all you guys um, who've absolutely smashed it in, in game week one. Sorry, we can't give us sort of a, a thorough update and say who's actually top because it's going to take too long to, to calculate at this at this moment in time. But I need just to say your name will be enshrined in who got the assist mini league glory AOB that you want to cover, Tom? Uh, yeah, we're on um, on Love Sport Radio, just to mention quickly, uh, every Friday about kind of 6, 6.15ish uh, with Johnny Borrows and Ewan Thomas uh, just quickly being brought in just to chat about the game week ahead this week. Uh, obviously, we spoke about our uh, our mini league with them. Hopefully, Nick, you and I can uh, show them who's boss, as it were. I, I didn't put up too much fighting talk, so that's not really my style, but I said, you know, bring it on. Words to that effect, but again, the things I'll never say in real life, but there we go. But yeah, very cool to be on the radio with Johnny and Ewan, and yeah, if you want to catch 
catch us on Love Sport Radio with uh, um, every kind of Friday, as I said, between 6 or 6.15. We'll know for about five, ten minutes slot just to banter with the hosts. And uh, yeah, it's, it's very nice to be part of that, isn't it? Right, let's move on to the questions then. And uh, yeah, we've had loads this week. Thank you very much for everybody who took the time to ask us a question. We're not going to get through them all. We're not going to name everybody. Some places, especially when it comes to United players, yeah, there's no way we can name everybody who asked us a question. But thank you very much. Much appreciated that you engage with us and ask us those sorts of questions. Uh, but the first question to be catch is, is team-based, Nick, and it's uh, cherries about the Bournemouth. It's the cherries chop. Billy Corgan's asked, what do we do with that Bournemouth attack? And I know you've got two, I've got two. How are you feeling after that 1-1 with Sheffield United and uh, what would you advise Billy to do? Well, yeah, I think that was that was the game that kind of ruined my game week, if, if any game did actually ruin my game week. Because, uh, yeah, I also had uh, Dender's uh, Dean Henson in goal. And uh, not only did my Bournemouth attackers fail to deliver any attacking returns, but I also lost a clean sheet. And Wilson got an assist out of it as well, which is a bit frustrating for me because I don't own Wilson. But I think for, for me, in terms of Bournemouth goal threat, um, in terms of the Bournemouth assets, I'd hang on to them. I, I won't won't sell them straight away. They've got a nice fixture up next against Aston Villa. Aston Villa looked like they um, looked pretty defensively solid in the first half against Spurs before they sort of got opened up in the second half. And um, I did see a stat about how they'd conceded um, the second most ever goals of um, a team that's sort of been promoted to the um, Premier League from the Championship. So I think Aston Villa potentially will struggle and uh, see lots of goals this season, potentially still, even with Tom Heaton in goal now. And um, I think uh, Bournemouth attackers uh, could uh, take the game to um, Aston Villa for sure. So I, I wouldn't certainly sell them right now. Perhaps if they blank again, I would consider it game week three because that's when they're playing Manchester City and that's when their fixtures get a little bit tougher. But at least for the Aston Villa game, I, I'd give it another week and hold. Yeah, I think I'm about the same. It was a, a strange performance from Bournemouth, wasn't it? It was, it was very sort of anemic. Um, I was expecting them to explode out of the blocks like it, like it was in like kind of last season. But for whatever reason, they seem to be kind of slight day sleepers in that particular game. We were expecting a lot more. Uh, we were expecting to explode out of the blocks and didn't quite happen. It was all about defence sort of thing. I was quite glad, actually, when uh, Billy Sharp scored for Sheffield United because there's a really high ownership for Ake randomly. I think it's one in five managers that own the Dutchman. Um, but yeah, the front three weren't particularly great, were they? I mean, if anyone said to me at the, like last Friday that Ryan Fraser would have been my lowest scoring uh, attacking asset, I'd have kind of thought, well, what, really? Uh, yeah, just one point for him. Not very much in his favour, except for the fact that he fired over seven crosses. He got more crosses than the other player, I think it was, last season. Callum Wilson had one shot. And that was the one that led to the goal. <laughs> but yeah, uh, and Josh King failed to have a shot at all um, on target or off target so yeah one of those I think which is probably a bit of an abeyance it'll be interesting to see what happens against Aston Villa but as you said Nick there are good pointers in the favour of Bournemouth doing fairly well against Villa and last season they did very well at the beginning so I'd hold on for now and the fact is that a lot of them are at very, very good price points, as you mentioned. So Ryan Fraser can be moved over to, you know, a Pulisic. It can be moved over to uh, Lucas Moura, Martial. Um, it can be downgraded to a 6.5. It can be downgraded all the way to a 6 or a 5. I don't know. Like, there's lots of flexibility built in with those Bournemouth players, which is kind of part of the reason why I chose them. Although they kind of could ruin a game week as you as you mentioned I think maybe the uh the Leicester Wolves one was my big ruiner this week but yeah I, I wouldn't take too much from that I think if you can see next week that they're also not performing then maybe get rid of them I think I'll be personally looking at Ryan Fraser and if he doesn't do anything next week he may well be on the chopping block but I think that Callum Wilson is probably going to be sticking around yeah, I, I wouldn't take too much from the fact that they've not done very well, basically, Billy, in the first game. Um, but from two, three onwards, if they don't do anything, then uh, it may be the time to react. So maybe think that maybe it's different Bournemouth this year. Okay, the next question is on United. There are lots of questions on this, too many to list. But as I mentioned earlier, thank you so much for those who asked about this. Fundamentally, I think the question was, which do we have an eye on? Um, It was a bit of rank-busting clean sheet, uh, reminiscent of two years ago, wasn't it? When Phil Jones and David De Gea and the like uh, all got clean sheets throughout the first five or six game weeks uh, to give automatic red arrows to many managers. So I'm fairly sure... Uh, that now those managers who are veterans are looking at it and thinking, oh God, I, I, that looks like a bit of a hygiene buy eventually. I mean, you tweeted the fixtures, didn't you, uh, just earlier on? I removed Maguire on Thursday evening, etc., etc. So I think we have been thinking about Man United a little bit over the course of the last few days. But after that 4 0 destruction of Chelsea, we've both got to be considering them, right? Uh, what's your view on United, Nick? 
So, yeah, as I said earlier, you know, I think they're definitely a team that are sort of the top of my watch list at the moment in terms of the uh, the players that I'm looking to bring in. Um, we saw, uh, for instance, Pogba was actually managed to pick up a couple of assists. But the uh, the concern with Pogba, perhaps, is that um, he doesn't seem to be on penalties any longer, which was one of his... Um, biggest appeals and he was also playing relatively deep so perhaps Pogba wouldn't be the first one on my list instead I'm more interested in in Martial at 7.5 he, he um, looks like a fantastic straight swap for me personally um, as I mentioned the likes of Fraser and Lucas Moura quite high up on my get rid list at the moment as I said I'm probably going to give both another game week even going to give Moura another game week even though he's playing Manchester City I just I think I'm looking to do sort of that sort of minus four perhaps free transfers um, in game week three. So my plan is to roll it. But if I was to do a transfer, I'd be looking at Martial perhaps for Mora. And uh, yeah, he, he looks really well. He seems to be playing as a number nine. I think you uh, posted a quote from Oleg and the Solskjaer, didn't you, earlier, um, highlighting that, um, that he seems to be sort of the, uh, the number nine choice ahead of Rashford even playing in the central role. And that's very appealing for man- managers that are looking at sort of like an out-of-position midfielder, um, so to speak. So Martial is probably the first on my list, but then there's also Rashford. Not too far behind, 8.5 million. As we said, he's now on penalties, perhaps. So fits in really nicely at that price point to have a, a player that's like, it's all, essentially we're talking about 2.5 million cheaper than Harry Kane. And he's never quite hit the sort of Kane standards of 20 goals a season, but two in his opening week might suggest that this could be his season. Yeah, maybe. I don't think he's going to be playing a player like uh, Kurt Happy Zuma every week. He seems to have a veritable meltdown <laughs> in that game. I don't know what it was about about that. Like, imperious Everton last year, wasn't he, Zuma? But in that game, he seems to have an absolute nightmare, didn't he? He just gave the ball away to Martial very early on and obviously gave the penalty away and just never looked comfortable. So I can imagine once Rudiger's back, that might be the end for uh, Zuma. And uh, you have the likes of uh, Christensen Injudson at 5.0. Uh, that said, I think that, yeah, there's definitely a case for Rashford at 8.5. Um, he's poo. He's likely to be on the wing. Um, and it looks like Martial, who's probably too lazy, let's be fair, to be on the wing at 7.5, playing with number nine role. And he actually has literally got the number nine at the moment. Very interesting, that one. I think there's a lot of interesting in Wan-Bissaka, obviously. Did his bonus hog stick again at 5.5 at the back. Uh, the United cover, I did remove, actually, on Thursday evening uh, just to fit in KWP and fit in Jota. Obviously, the beauty of hindsight is that that was a silly move, but at the time, it kind of made sense. I don't think anyone would have foreseen a 4-0 victory over Chelsea. Uh, but nonetheless, I think that the likes of Wan-Bissaka and Maguire are definitely blipping on my radar. Maguire, particularly, I think he's he's got that goal threat, as we mentioned on the last pod. Um, very, very good. Uh, when he was at Hull, I think he was second for shots in the bots that year. Did very well for Leicester as well in that regard. He's got three goals last season. I think he could probably do a little bit better at United. And there's obviously that kind of suspicion that he could be like Van Dyke at Southampton uh, moving to Liverpool Maguire moving from Leicester to uh, United you can see an ugly duckling become a swan I suppose um, but yeah I think it'd be very interesting to see how that how that goes I think it'd be Maguire for me over AWB but AWB is so highly owned that either one seems to probably fit as being a decent hygiene pick I'm a little bit I'm a little bit regretful actually about uh, removing Maguire I, uh, obviously it's a benefit of hindsight but I wish that I kept him in going forward as you mentioned it's got to be Martial hasn't it because I think a lot of people do have players at beneficial price points to bring him in gladly he kept it to one but he is fairly clinical is he overperforming though I don't know uh, but that fixture list that you mentioned is, is pretty good and I think that you can probably see if he does get consistency of starts that he's going to score at least kind of 10 this season 10-15 goals that's pretty good for a 7.5 million midfielder isn't it especially if they're being played out of position so yeah not lots of interest there I would probably wouldn't make a transfer this week um, but they're definitely ones that I'm going to be keeping an eye on uh, during that Wolves game I guess linked to that, just to jump to the uh, to the transfers question here. There are a lot of them, again, on this. And thanks very much again for asking questions about this. Uh, FPL Fridge Freezer. Wow, we've really reached the end, haven't we? Uh, had Alisson, uh, Joe Prenter and Chris Moffat had Trossard. Yeah, quite a few uh, others had similar sorts of players who didn't play or didn't do very, very well. And uh, I think FPL School put it very, very well, who I actually beat this week, a rare victory for me, normally I get a participation medal. Um, but I beat him in a teacher versus prefect thing where you pick a few players and see how it goes. Um, ask The received wisdom is to hold your transfer, but what might change your mind this week? Would you make a transfer this week? 
what may be the conditions. Obviously, if you've got Allison, that kind of makes sense. But beyond that, Nick, what might make you be thinking, yeah, I, I might make a move now? I think, yeah, as I said, it's all down to those sort of enforced versus elective decisions. You know, some scenarios you have these enforced transfers, like if you have Allison, uh, elective ones might be if I did have someone like Bernardo Silva in my team, if I decided to punt on him and he didn't start, obviously he, he didn't play at all. Um, I would be a little bit concerned and I would be perhaps thinking about moving him on, especially with the Spurs match being the next Manchester City fixture. Of course, Bernardo Silva might be straight back in the team. As we know from Pep, he does that sort of thing all the time. But I think um, it is a bit concerning to own that sort of player when you just don't know whether he's going to start week in, week out. So he might be a player, for instance, if I did own that I'd consider moving out um, 8 million he costs, so you could easily do it. Um, a swap from um, Silver to uh, to Martial, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the end of the world as we know it. If you um, if you do own these sorts of players, as we said earlier in the pod, you can um, you can find easy replacements, and, and there's plenty of time to, to catch up. Um, you know, plenty of people have had a bad day and, and might not want their picture taken, but you know, don't don't over panic. Plenty of time. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's one of those things, isn't it? But if you've got an, uh, an enforced transfer, then definitely make it. Uh, but if you if it is all elective, like we've had a couple of uh, tweets already to us, haven't we, where we both kind of said, oh, God, you know, just just chill out. You don't need to be moving uh, Lucas Moura onto Ndombele. Like, that sort of thing. Like, don't worry about it too much. It's probably a good idea to get those two FTs see what happens like it all links in with the over management thing that I was talking about during the summer and last season like you, you don't need to be doing those moves because it is over management at the end of the day like you're making a transfer at the opportunity cost of not having that understanding of how things have developed um we've had one week what next week you may be thinking completely differently there may be other targets that emerge there may be other things that happen the fixtures change and some teams schedules soften some teams schedules harden and it's definitely a case of weighing all that up and thinking oh actually it might be a good idea to not move at the moment because you've picked that game week one team for a reason i'm sure you thought about it a lot i'm sure that if you listen to this you're not the sort of person who's also completed your team and i think that that's really important to bear in mind um, if you look at your players like, you know, obviously the likes of Ryan Fraser getting one point. Yeah, I can see why you're annoyed about that. Um, but, you know, next week is, is Aston Villa, who are, let's not forget, a newly promoted team. He could well do very, very well. If you sell him, he could well turn around and you know, get two assists and a goal. It's just one of those things where you've got to watch and wait. And at this time, it's, it's not exactly a free hit, but it is that kind of time where you can say, OK, I only got kind of 60, 70 points last year and I'm seeing 80, 90 points uh, everywhere on social channels. But remember what we said at the start of the pod. It is a, a game of patience at this time. Like The fact is that if someone did very, very well in game week one, that does not mean they've won FPL or won the mini league. It's just the fact that done very well in the first week uh, so I wouldn't go too mad here if you do have an enforced transfer get rid of it if you do have a trossard um, I'd be inclined to give him another week as well just to see what happens there obviously you've got the old kind of wood potter magic some changes to a winning side I think it's definitely worth waiting and seeing on that on him as well just because the opportunity cost of using that transfer up and not having two free transfers in game week three um, is probably going to set you at a disadvantage when everybody else including us is going to be holding your transfer I mean in game week three you've got two FT or a mini wild card to do a minus four four free transfers which is going to be a lot more beneficial to you so yeah Definitely hold on, I think, at the risk of sounding boring. I can see why maybe you make a transfer to try to go get something away very early, but I just don't really see the benefit in doing that just because I think that if you view your transfer, it doesn't work out. Suddenly you're on the back foot because everybody else has got two free transfers ready to go. Cool. Uh, the next question is, uh, it's been a bad day. Please don't take a picture. Uh, lots of people uh, like Paul Phantom, uh, FPL Tips, and Mark Muddy have said they've had a start which makes them upset. Uh, what can we say to make them feel better about themselves? Uh, Pet Football Index Guide as well uh, has also asked us, uh, I'm so bad at FPL, what can I possibly do? Nick, what would your words be of wisdom to pacify people and make them feel better about themselves? So I think I've sort of covered it really in, in terms of what I said in that last question. Just in terms of don't over panic, you know, understand that some people might have had a bad week you know they might be even looking at your sort of 50 point deficits in terms of their friends um and how, how they're doing but uh you know just chill out enjoy the game 
plenty of time to sort this out and plenty of time to play catch up. And, uh, and if it's that bad, then by all means, if you think you have to make some drastic changes, then, then take a hit, make a couple of changes and you can, you can sort your team out pretty quickly at this stage. I think you're right. Like I think that it's easy to draw conclusions on 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 this week and be a bit upset after seeing everything. But the overriding message of this pod is just don't panic if this things haven't gone particularly well. I know that we talk about having a good start, but the good start doesn't mean one game week. It means the course of the first kind of four or five game weeks. And actually, I think it gets a bit, bit more nervy once you've got two free transfers in game week three and how you diverge from there. I think that's when all the paths start to kind of pull apart and digress and splinter off success or failure um, but the, the very start perhaps isn't something that you start judging your uh, managerial competency on so I wouldn't worry too much right uh, let's move on to the final question uh, which is an interesting one actually so Nick of Wigan said to us right imagine you've got three hypothetical transfers that you can make right now for free uh, three free uh, just for those who are wondering, what would we do if we were able to do so? Uh, which is, I think that's quite a cool one, Nick. Uh, what would you be looking at if you, if you were able to make that kind of risk-free, no strings attached, uh, triple of moves, as it were? So I, uh, I've had a little think. I think I've got three in mind, perhaps. Um, I'd probably look at uh, Morata Martial, as I've mentioned a few times on the pod, just as a straight swap. Uh, probably, I might even swap... Um, Denders with Matt Ryan, just looking at the Brighton fixtures, perhaps um, that was a little bit too much of a gamble, too much of a, a tactical risk. I wanted to sort of go against the Pope crowd, go against the twin plate and uh, picked out Denders from the crowd. And uh, yeah, that, that didn't work out in the first game week. So if I could do a swap um, with no hit, I'd probably do that one. And, and maybe I'd even consider uh, you know, downgrading my uh, Josh King forward to someone like Neil Mopay, maybe even, you know, who's, who's done very well for Brighton. Even though he didn't start, I'd expect him to to start the next game. So perhaps a little bit of a gamble there. But as I said, Brighton have some quite nice fixtures coming up whilst Bournemouth's after the next one start to toughen. So I, I'd perhaps consider that. Yeah, probably the same for me, actually. I think it would be for me like more about having more in the bank. Like I think that that would be something that I'd want to do. I think that every year I fall prey to the... Uh, 0.0 sort of bias thing where I want to spend all my money and actually having money in the bank may be a beneficial thing like I, if I had the ability to do free free transfers now for free <laughs> I, can't, I keep saying free 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 yeah and I know that you kept 0.5 in the bank which is probably a lot smarter than me Nick which is probably why you're a lot better on in life than I am uh, but KWP I think would go down to a 4.0, give me 1.0 in the bank. Be tempted to move Jota, as you mentioned, onto a more pay or maybe uh, you know, the likes of Wesley or something like that who've got a decent fits to run coming. I think the rest of that money, I don't know, I'd maybe try to roll one of those uh, free transfers. I'm not too sure at the moment because as we said, like, you can't really draw many conclusions right now. One uh, game week, one talking point. I think we've got a lot of the core right. I think it's just the case of trying to make sure the rest sort of works. Um, who knows, by game week three, that Newcastle game uh, for Harry Kane is... It's got shades of Cuneguero last year, game week two against Huddersfield for me. So maybe I'm maybe looking at that and thinking, oh God, I need to get Kane in. Uh, but for now, I think I'd be looking to kind of just put some money in the bank if I was able to. I just I was able to react uh, come game week three or four when we've got perhaps more of an idea of what's going on. Great question, Nick. Thanks very much for that. And the uh, the final thing this week, Nick, is transfers and captains. So it sounds like we're not making a transfer, but who's your captain going to be? Are you going to keep it on Mo Salah or move it around somewhere else? I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say, but yeah, worth asking anyway. <laughs> very boring and yeah, I'm keeping it on Mo Salah. I mean, I look at the rest of my team and there's not really any other options out there, to be honest. It, it's just a horrible week what with Manchester City playing Spurs and uh, just makes sense to keep it on the Liverpool assets. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm going to be very boring and say no transfers, Mo Salah staying as the captain. So no changes at all. Same as you. So change tastes like fear. And I think adrenaline pulls us near in towards um, having Mo Salah as your captain again against Southampton. Got veritably demolished to some extent against Burnley, despite the fact that the XG actually wasn't very different at all. I think that um, Ashley Barnes was continuing his amazing ability to confund maybe uh, Graham Potter was around with his wand and um, his expected output. But yeah, that, that brace obviously was great for Hindu Monkey. Uh, nonetheless, I think that uh, Mo Salah is going to be my captain against Southampton. 
I remember a few years ago, for example, when he first came to the league, uh, he got a brace against Southampton off the bench. Uh, so it's a happy hunting ground for him, Samaria Stadium. And I think that that's a pretty good, actually. It's, it's such a safe option, such a boring option, isn't it? Dear God. Uh, but I think it's just one of those where it really does make sense. Game week three, I think it's going to be more interesting when you've got Harry Kane uh, against Newcastle you've got Mo Salah against Arsenal which is probably the easiest game on paper and then you've got uh, Raz Sterling um, away against Bournemouth which is going to be a bit more of an interesting sort of uh, sliding door sort of thing but this week I think it's, it's all going to be about Mo Salah captaincy and just keeping it calm and keeping it on Salah. Yeah exactly I think um, looking at the fixtures Arsenal the only other one with a, with a decent fixture but then as we said Burnley have started quite strongly and uh, after that they've got a uh, Liverpool and Spurs so it's not really the right moment to sort of bring in someone like Aubameyang and, and captain him either but he would be the other one perhaps that would lead the polls for people that are fancying a little bit of a punt but uh, yeah that's, that's to be um, a Liverpool asset for me and yeah Osan is the obvious one so yeah uh, just to say who we are we are who got the assist you can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPO or at WGTA underscore Nick um, and uh, yeah don't forget to subscribe pod if you haven't done it already. And if you want to join our league, the league code is EIKX03. There's also a theme to every pod. Um, the last theme was Ace Ventura. This one's a bit more of a musical theme. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with Game Week 2. Yeah, certainly. If we're in the first kind of couple of weeks. I think we 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 always kind of hold fast to the uh, game week one decisions that we made. So the two week proving period will continue. So we'll be reporting on the same teams next week. Uh, nonetheless, uh, I'm sure it'll be interesting and full of ups and downs. So yeah, stick with us. I hope you've enjoyed this week's pod. But in the meantime, I hope to see you and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Now we've done that. We're both inevitably going to do Friday night transfers. <laughs> It's going to be like, gosh, I've done more to Marshall, Tom. Oh, God. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.